Good morning and uh, welcome to our class. We are down to me. Troy and Andy are both gone, of course, to polishing the pulpit, and I look forward to uh, not only class, but uh, being able to preach twice today. I got to do that last week, but I'm <laughs> not here. Uh, grateful for you being here, and I hope that uh, our class will be beneficial to you. In just a moment, we're going to uh, start, but we want to pray together before we do that. Father in heaven, we're thankful this morning that uh, we're able to share time together with each other in Bible study. We know that uh, we are blessed to have your word in our language in a convenient form and for us to be able to have the freedom to uh, possess a Bible, and to study it for ourselves without interference, and we pray that we will never forget what a privilege it is to have your word. We're thankful for other blessings today. Our lives are rich with many gifts from you. We recognize that those blessings are not due to our goodness, but yours. And we pray that our gratitude will be expressed not only in words, but in deeds, and that we will always seek your honor above ours. Father, forgive us when we fail and help us to determine not to fail as often and to seek your will in all that we do. Bless our study now. Bless those not with us, particularly those who continue to struggle with health concerns. We pray for their improvement if possible. And even among those of us who are here, we ask for better health when there are difficulties. And we pray all this through Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> the, the material that was written for this particular study, Living by the Book, has been divided into three principal parts, and you've gone over those multiple times already, but you are well aware by now that we've been talking about observation, interpretation, have not yet talked until today about application. The first two lessons of this study set the stage for what would follow. And then observation consisted of four lessons, which led to interpretation, that, that, and that took up five more lessons, leaving only two lessons to talk about application. And that may be somewhat problematical, I hope not. This is the first of those two lessons. Andy will finish up that part of this particular study next Sunday. Uh, I want to tell you in advance that I will not be following the lesson sheet precisely, and so you don't need to worry about it. I will try to remember before class ends to go over that acrostic with you. 
I'm not a big acrostic fan, especially when there are a lot of things to remember. And, and I don't doubt your smartness, but if any of you could quote all nine of those after writing down, I'd probably give you a stick of gum or something. But we don't tend to remember long acrostics. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about those hopefully at the end of class. Let's think about application. That's, that's what we need to focus on, application. If we were to ask ourselves this morning, which of these three, observation, interpretation, or application, is the most difficult? I have no doubt that we might get different answers. I don't think for a moment that 100% of us would agree on one of those. For some of us, just seeing, really seeing what's in the text may be a really big challenge. And, and uh, th- that could be especially true if you're a skimmer. You know what a skimmer is? A person that reads real quickly. Uh, our freshman year in college, Janice and I took a class in, in what's it called? Speed reading or and, and you're supposed to be able to read 1,200 words a minute and just go down like this and this. And I passed that class and it didn't do me a bit of good because I'm not a speed reader. Some people can read quickly. Some people can't. And it's okay because that's who you are. And, and I have found sometimes when I try to read too quickly, I miss what I really should see. The other problem sometimes is if you are a person who reads to accomplish a goal, you may not be a real good observer. I'm scheduled to teach Mark, the Gospel of Mark, on Wednesday nights beginning this fall. And I made a determination that one of the things I was going to do in preparation for that class was I was going to read multiple translations of Mark. Now, I'll confess even more, okay, this is Alan's confession. I finished reading the Bible by the beginning of August. I'm not bragging about that because I don't know if that was really the best thing to do. I read a lot quickly. I've already read three translations and I'm on the fourth. And when I first started this, I thought, I'm going to read eight chapters a day. There's 16 chapters in Mark. I will be able to read ten, at least ten different translations. There are some long chapters in Mark, as you will see. So I thought, well, maybe if I just read four chapters a day. Four chapters a day is still a lot. Lately, I've been reading two chapters And I think sometimes even trying just to get through two chapters without really paying a lot of attention to what those chapters say can be harmful. Now, you may not have that problem, but sometimes we, and and that's one of the dangers of saying my goal is to read the Bible through this year. That's, That's a great resolve. But if that comes at the expense of really seeing what you're reading, it's not really all that good. A friend of mine, a preacher friend of mine, said, I stopped doing that. 
He said, I just make sure that every day I read and think about what I read. Good idea. For some people, the greater problem may be just figuring out what the text really teaches. Look in your Bible to 2 Peter, the third chapter, final chapter of 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3. Beginning verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now notice, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Now, so, stop just a minute. What has Paul, what is Peter focusing on what Paul has written to them? Consider what? That the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you, but verse 16 as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scripture. We often pay more attention to the end of that verse than anything else. We talk about these people, and rightly so perhaps, who twist the Scriptures, make the Scriptures say what they want. But don't overlook the fact that Peter says about his fellow apostle Paul, he wrote some tough stuff. He wrote some things that are hard to understand. Now, if he said that, is it ever hard for us to understand? I'm scared of the person who who tells me that the book of Romans is no problem to me. It's It's a snap. It's simple. Not a snap to me. I've read it for 50 years. There are some things that are hard to understand. Have you ever read something and you said, maybe just to yourself, I don't get that. I, I see it. I've read it. I don't get it. I'm going to tell you this, and I'll come back to this in a little bit. Don't. Don't worry too much about that, that you don't get everything. Nobody gets everything. Somebody might make you think he gets everything, but he doesn't. Ever say, I just don't understand. Think for a moment about the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Was he reading his Bible? Yes. Was he interested in observing? Yes. But did he understand of whom is the prophet speaking? Is this of himself or some other? Well, he had read, he was sincere, doing the right thing, but he didn't understand. And so let me just say this, don't be ashamed if you need help. All of us need help on some things. And we're blessed in that, I'll talk about that a little bit later. Look at Acts 18 for just a minute. Here's a historical situation, just like the eunuch. 
in Acts 18, beginning at verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, notice about this man, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught, what? Accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and here you have one of those things about Bible understanding. There is an inference here. Luke, the inspired writer, had said in verse 25, he only knew John's baptism, and what does that infer? He didn't understand New Testament baptism, only John's baptism that preceded what began at Pentecost. Exactly right. He didn't know that. So when he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Here's a man mighty in scriptures, well-instructed, powerful speaker, and he didn't know everything. And he needed help. To his credit, he received it and accepted it. He could have said, who do you think you are telling me what's right and wrong? But instead, he was humble enough to be taught. Well, some people have a problem with observation, some interpretation, and perhaps for a sizable number, the hardest part of Bible study is application, applying the teaching to our lives. If you were to look in a dictionary, under application you would see the act of putting to use. Now there are other kinds of applications, but even you think about a bottle of ointment says, apply this to your skin. That's application in it. Putting it to use. And so what we, what we need to do with the scriptures is to observe what's there, make sure we see it, we need to understand what it means, and then we need to say, does that affect me? Now, I, I did not say, please understand, I did not say, how does that affect me? And I'll tell you why in just a few moments. Does that affect me? Is, is there something in there that needs to be in my life? Well, this is not a new problem. Application is not something that we struggle with today only. And we're going to look just at some scriptures here, okay? Look at, let's start at, back at Matthew. I'll try to just, these are not necessarily the order that they have to be, but look at Matthew 5 for just a moment. I just want to notice several things that indicate application has been a problem for others. And this is only part of a context, keep in mind, part of a context. Matthew 5.20, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Who were the scribes and Pharisees? Well, scribes were the copyist of the law and the prophets. They were Bible 
copyist. If anybody knew what the scriptures said, it was them because they spent their lives copying the scriptures. Pharisees, the sort of the intelligent of all the intelligentsia as far as the law was concerned. They, they thought they knew it backward and forward and they could teach it. But Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless doing right exceeds what they do, you won't enter the kingdom. So there were people who knew the scriptures, or at least should have known them, didn't particularly help them. On your lesson sheet, one of the verses that's mentioned or passages is Matthew 7, but I I don't want to use that one. I, I would want to use Luke, and nothing wrong with that. But I want to use what I consider to be a parallel of that same thing for a particular reason. Look at, if you will, at uh, Luke 6. Luke 6. And I'll, I'll explain this to you in just a second. Beginning at verse 47. And, and you know this from Matthew. We, we most often use Matthew. Whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, notice, hear and do, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock when the flood rose, stream beat vehemently against the house and could, it could, not, and could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built his house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, why did I want to go there? Because look at verse 46, the question Jesus asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why is that? Why would you address me as Lord? Why would you call me Lord? And you don't do what I say. That means I'm not your Lord. You know, if I'm your Lord, Master, you do what the Master says. If you call me Lord, there is an obligation that you do what I say to do. They weren't doing it. Go to John 5. John 5. And look at verses 39 and 40. Jesus, the the, the severest things Jesus ever said to people were not those that he said to the publicans and sinners. They were to the religious people of his day, the scribes and Pharisees. Listen what he says, verse 39. You search the scriptures. And that good? You bet it's good. For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You read it, you search the scriptures, and you don't see what's there, and you're not willing to obey what you read. One more, James 1. James 1. Beginning verse 22. This, this is so familiar to you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. What happens when you do that? Deceiving yourselves. 
For any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Here's a guy that looks in the mirror. And those weren't very good mirrors, but they were good enough. And, and he's got a smudge on his face. And he sees it. And he thinks, perhaps, I need to get that off my face. But he doesn't do it, and he walks away, and then he forgets. And he goes around all day with that smudge on his face. Jesus is saying, if you, if you hear my words and you don't do them, you're like a man who just doesn't pay attention to what kind of person he really is. I think application is certainly a major problem today. We have in our country millions of Bibles. We have millions of people who read their Bibles. Why is it that they don't all come out with the same conclusions? One way to answer that question is a very common and popular way that it's answered today, and that is, well, that's okay. Hey, look, you believe what you want. You believe what you want. It doesn't really matter. They didn't read their Bible closely enough, or they wouldn't make that application that it's okay to believe what you want to believe, that it's okay to believe differently from what others believe. It can't be. One of the fundamental truths about biblical interpretation is the Scriptures have only one true meaning. They don't mean whatever you want them to mean. They don't mean this in the 8th century and that in the 19th century. They don't do that. They have one meaning. Now, they may have many applications, but they have one meaning. And a lot of people never even get the right meaning. So they can't make the right applications. There's some people, there are some things that are substituted for application. One of those is making the Bible an academic exercise. That is just reading to be reading or saying, oh yes, I read my Bible. Uh, yes, you know, hey, the devil knows scripture, doesn't he? And you, and you understand that from the temptation of Jesus? The devil knows Scripture. Does it do him any good? No. I, I don't know if it's true or not. The rest of you who are young, just tune out because you, you won't know this. Nikita Khrushchev, right? Anybody remember Nikita? Russian pr uh, premier, president, whatever he was back in the Cold War days. It is said that Nikita Khrushchev had memorized a lot of the Gospels when he was very young. Did it do him any good? Not a bit. Not a bit. And so you don't need to treat the Bible like, oh, yeah, here's Bible 101. I got it. Sometimes people apply only what pleases them. It's sort of like the kid in school who just wants to pass. He didn't want to be an excellent student. He just wants to get 60 or whatever a passing grade is now. He just wants to be able to say, I got into heaven. 
He's not saying, I want to be the very best person I can be. I want to glorify God with my life. He says, I just don't want to go to hell. Look for a moment at Ephesians 4. I'll give you an application of this. Ephesians 4. Hey, how do you like that? An application of application. Ephesians 4 and verse 25. One of several similar statements Paul writes, Therefore put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. When is it all right to lie? Some people would say, I never lie to my wife, I never lie to my children, I never lie to my employer. But if I'm selling a car and it's got a bum engine and some sucker's willing to buy it, I'm going to tell him that car is perfect. Because see, that's just lying to somebody who doesn't count. That's not the application you get from that passage. You put away all falsehood. You don't lie about anything. And if you lie about something, you might as well lie about everything because you're guilty. Sometimes it's uh, rationalization that it takes the place of application. I may not do what this passage teaches, but hey, nobody does. Or, I'm not any worse than anybody else. I, I hope nobody stands before God and thinks that excuse is going to get him into heaven. I'm not, I wasn't any worse than this bum over here. Or, nobody really did anything Lord right, and so I didn't either. Christianity is not about who is better than you or who is worse than you. Christianity is about are you what God wants you to be. That's what Christianity is. Sometimes our problem with application is we like to apply the Bible to somebody else. I just wish that sorry devil could hear that sermon. Because that doesn't have anything to do with me, but it sure has something to do with that sorry devil that I know. That doesn't do much good, does it? Now, there are times when we need to apply things to others, but sometimes motivation is also important too, isn't it? Why are you applying it to somebody else? To put him down and make you seem better or because of genuine concern? Some substitute emotion for application. You see, it could be emotion without change. Now, I'm not saying that the Scriptures should be treated coldly. Please do not get that from what I'm saying. But our response can't end with emotion. That's not good enough. <laughs> I don't know why I thought about this. I told Janice this story. Sometimes your mind can think about those things years ago and you forget about what happened yesterday, right? Anybody have that problem? You forgot, didn't you? You had that problem. Years ago, I, I met a young woman. i tell you how long ago this was. It was in a Gibson store. Anybody know what Gibson's was? Yay! Dell City, Oklahoma. I still remember. Years ago. 
This woman was a Christian by name, but not faithful. And I knew she wasn't faithful. I knew her. Saw her in the store. Wanted to talk to her. Tried, wanted to try to encourage her. Her mother had died. And it shook her up because her mother died. And she said, she hadn't attended services, hadn't been faithful to the church for who knows how long. She said, I got my Bible and I didn't know where to read, so I just it just fell open. And I started reading in the book of Revelation. And she said, it scared the blank out of me. And you can fill that word in, okay. It scared out of me. It didn't. She never came to church. She just got scared. And there are a lot of people who go through those emotions when they read the Bible and say, I'm convicted, but I'm not going to go to jail. <laughs> I'll get over it. Sometimes it's emotion with wrong understanding, isn't it? Go, go back to Matthew, the fifth chapter again for just a moment, if you will, please. <laughs> emotion without understanding. Let's suppose that a young boy in a grocery store has stolen a candy bar. And let's suppose his name is Alan in Nixon, Texas, when he was under 10. Yeah, we're supposing, right? Well, what if I read Matthew 5.29? If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, and cast it from you, for it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Should I have cut my hand off? Wouldn't that have left me one hand to steal another candy bar with? You, you see something you shouldn't see. Is it better to put your eye out? But wouldn't you still have one eye to see wrong things too? So, is that passage... Is the application from that passage, Jesus is literally telling me to cut my hand off? And the answer to that is no. Let's get to the heart of this matter. The question that each of us needs to ask ourselves is this. What difference does Bible study really make in my life? What's it doing to me and for me and through me? We must live what we learn, right? Here's a passage that we look at in a lot of different ways. Look at 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Some of us have heard this many, many times. Verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We not in, the, in those two verses, we not only see the divine origin of Scripture, but we also see the outcome that God desires Scripture to have in our lives. All Scripture is from God. What is it to do for me? It's to make me complete. The, the Greek word here, to fit out, perfect, exactly right. And then thoroughly equipped is really just one word, to prepare perfectly, to complete for a special purpose. God wants His Word to be valuable to change us into what He wants us to be. So the ultimate goal of Bible study is to improve our life as we try to move closer to being everything God wants us to be. Think again just for a moment about that Acts 8 passage about the Ethiopian eunuch. I don't understand about this passage. So Philip gets on board with him and he teaches him. It would not have been good enough for the eunuch to say, so that's the meaning. Thanks. See you later. Here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? You see, if, if he hadn't gotten to that point, the, Philip taught him what he needed to do, and when he understood what he needed to do, he said, I am going to do it. What hinders me from being obedient? If you believe, you may. I believe. How do we get there? How do we get to that point of application? One writer said this, and I hope you're not offended by this. I think I understand exactly what he meant. Observation and interpretation without application, he said, is spiritual abortion. I wouldn't have used that term. I would just say the, the baby doesn't get born. If you, if you understand everything in a past, I mean, if you see everything that's there, and if you understand what it means, and that's the end of it, too bad. You, you, you're not going to get any divine credit for saying, yeah, I saw everything there, and I understand exactly what it says, unless... It takes some root into your life. So let me give you a couple of suggestions before our time is out. First of all, study carefully. Study carefully. You can't apply correctly unless you have correct understanding. And it's okay to use helps. And, and we have some good ones. We are extremely blessed that there are men who are smart enough that they not only have looked at the Scriptures and been thoughtful about them, come to a correct understanding of them, but they've put that down for us to benefit by. We have a library full of virtually unused books. 
I don't know why. If you have trouble with Romans, there are plenty of commentaries on Romans that can get you started. I'm not saying they're going to answer every question. I'm not going to say that every commentary is valuable. Some aren't. You need to be careful with human helps. But listen, if, if the eunuch had said to Philip, I don't need anybody helping me, what would he have gotten to? Nothing. Yeah, come up and show me. So don't be afraid to use helps. Just be careful that when you use helps, you do your own thinking. It's okay to read something and say, that helps. It's okay to read it and say, I don't agree with that. If you can back up your disagreement with what the scriptures teach. Number two, spend enough time thinking. You know, this is like digestion after eating. <laughs> if you eat but don't digest, you've got problems. And so the digestion comes from, and you've studied this already, ask some questions. I don't know that you need to ask all the questions that we've already talked about, but, but just ask yourself some questions. Who's involved here? What's involved? What is this saying? Do I understand the setting? So, someone has said that probably one of the greatest faults of Western culture, and that would be us, is we don't think very much. <laughs> we don't think very much. You, you know anybody that watches TV because they don't want to think? Probably 98% of us. That's why it used to be called an idiot box. <laughs> I don't know think it was the idiot. Probably those of us who were watching it were idiots. How many times have you watched TV and gone to bed and say, well, boy, that was a wasted three, four hours. We need to spend some time, and I can't tell you how much to do that. Folks, I know a lot of you have really hectic schedules. I, I know that. But you know, we can carve out some time at appropriate times. If you're in the doctor's office or the dentist's office, instead of looking at ladies' home journal that's eight months old laying on his desk, have you a Bible with you or a notepad or something. Think about something more valuable. If you've got a break in the day and you can say, I'm going to sit and be quiet for just a little while and contemplate what I've read, that'll bless your life. Third, take it personally. <laughs> you ever hear somebody say, now don't take this personally, but. <laughs> and then you know what's coming. Well, I'm going to tell you when it comes to Scripture, you better take it personally. What kind of impact is this going to have on my life? Look, look at 1 Timothy 4 for just a minute, please. 1 Timothy 4. Got to hurry. Verses 12 and 13. Let no man despise your youth, notice, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity, till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. That's Those are connected. That's how you get to be an example, by paying attention to God's word. Look at verses 15 and 16. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. 
that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Number four, put it into practice. Now, not everything that you learn from the Bible can be put into practice. Narratives are meant to be just that. When you read uh, the genealogies of Israel, I don't think you sit there and say, now how do I put this into practice? You don't put that into practice. There, there are a number of scenes in the Bible that are just scenes. And, and maybe you can think of some things that you can take, for, but not, they're not necessarily applications. Application is not always pain-free. See, because God's Word is like a sword cutting deeply. Sometimes if we're honest, we see ourselves and we say, I don't like what I see. My temper's not good. I don't like that. I see that I should control it, and I will. Mistakes can be made, obviously. I don't have time for this, but in Acts 2 and verse 44 and 45, it talks about the early church meeting together daily and having all things common. There were, there were some, actually, who early in the restoration movement were a part of us who came to believe that that passage taught communism. I don't mean Russian communism, but communal living that Christians were under the obligation from Acts 2 to sell all they had and to just pass it all out among themselves. That's not right. If that were right, then there would be other instructions in the New Testament about us doing that. Remember that Ananias and Sapphira were told they didn't really have to sell that property. Their problem was not not selling the property. Their problem was saying they got enough money for it and lying about it. Don't make the wrong application. And, and finally, presuppositions can be dangerous. You, you see, if you approach the Scripture, and all of us have some presupposition... A lot of people don't like to admit this, but you know, when a person starts looking at the Bible, I don't know anybody that would say, I don't have any feeling at all about whether this is right or wrong. I don't think people do that. When they approach the Bible, they already have a feeling. This is right. And hopefully they read it and then understand, yeah, I'm correct. It is right. Or somebody approaches, it's wrong. And they'll do everything within their power to prove it's wrong because they already believe it's wrong. Presupposition. Mama told me that baptism wasn't essential for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to look at every passage and say, I know that doesn't say I have to be baptized because Mama told me I didn't have to be. Presupposition can be dangerous. You have to be honest enough to say, even if I believe something ahead of time, when I study the Bible and it shows me I'm wrong, I have to say, I'm wrong. 
And that's painful, <laughs> but we have to do it. Let me look at this acrostic real quickly. And if you can write at 103 miles an hour, you can write these down. At the bottom of the page, space pets. Remember, a piece of gum to anybody who can quote all those. Sin to confess. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? A truth to embrace? Or something to praise God for? Sin to confess, promise to claim, attitude to change, command to obey, example to follow, prayer to pray. If you didn't get that, I'll give you my sheet and you can do it again. Thank you for being here this morning. And Andy will finish up next week. Application, extremely important. We must be very good at doing it.